You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Turn with me to John chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to start reading in John chapter 1, starting at verse 43, so just kind of hold your place there. Um, I, how many of you are excited about the beginning of college football? I'm not going to ask about pro football, just college football. All right, and I know that you guys, some of you have some distinct preferences as to who you like. So, so out of this crew over here, this, this crowd over here, I'm going to start this way. Um, favorite teams? All right. All right, so, so I'm hearing some UNC, and, and I'm hearing some Georgia, and there's, there's likely a few others in there. <laughs> what? Who? State, state. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I mean, Duke, Duke's probably in there. Um, I was watching a football game last night, which between Florida and Miami, and um, was just a little. And I this just kind of tell you where I'm at. I was a little disappointed with the um, the level of play. Maybe that's a good way to put it, because it was just ugly. And, and every, every time the, the ball changed possession, you kind of had this feeling like, okay, this could be the drive that kind of sets in order what's going to happen. And it was like just one more play. If we could just get one more play, and then the play would happen, and it'd be a turnover. You're like, well, one less play. If we could just do that, then maybe everything would be all right. And so, so I watched that, and, and just thinking about just the way that works and the way our mentality is, that sometimes we just desire just one more of whatever it is. I mean, it may be just one more hit. If you watched the Little League World Series game yesterday between the, the group from Louisiana and the group from Hawaii, um, Louisiana was up 9 nothing going into the sixth inning, and Hawaii got up and scored five runs and had guys on. And you're going, oh, just one more hit. And I'm sure that's what the coach was saying, just, just one more hit. If we could just keep this going. Because they batted around, and they were starting going through the, the order again. So maybe just one more hit, and it'll make a difference. Or one more yard in a game, and a team scores, and it, it changes things. Or maybe it's this way. Maybe one more scoop of ice cream. So we go, yeah, yeah, that, now we're talking. I don't care, le- I could care less about football. One more scoop of ice cream or one more bucket of popcorn if you're at the movies or something like that. Um, one more room in a new house. You know, whatever it looks like, you know, because that, that one more just means that we get it. You know, we may even want that one more dollar that we would be satisfied with. And you know that that's, that's not really true. In fact, you won't be satisfied with one more play, one more dollar, one more scoop, one more room. You won't be satisfied with any of those things. But one seems to be a big number. Uh, When I was in student ministry, we'd do games and we would give points. And we wouldn't count like one, two, three. It was like 10,000 points for this answer. You know, we do that kind of thing. So we were talking these astronomical numbers and so when you start to get so high with numbers it just it doesn't it's not even countable anymore and we've got a 
a national debt that's in, in somewhere, some number, and I, I, I can't even figure that one out. And they're talking about different numbers. And then I, I read an illustration about a, a $1 million bill in, in some country. And, and I read that and I went, $1 million bill. Yeah, well, that's because the currency is so poor that $1 million in that particular currency is more like a dollar here. So it makes sense to have that. So we could talk big numbers, and yet when it comes down to it, the, one of the biggest numbers is the number one. If we look through Scripture, there are several different places. Um, you've got things like the, the lost sheep, that one sheep that the, the shepherd goes after leaves the 99 to, ch- to chase one, or the lost coin, the pearl, that single pearl that somebody trades their livelihood for just to have it in their possession. And then the son who comes back, just one. And so, so as big as we want some numbers to be, there's another part of us that really needs to gravitate toward the idea of one. Because when we start talking about reaching people for Christ, we can make the number that needs to be reached so big that we just kind of curl up in a fetal position and say, it's too big for me to tackle, therefore, I'm not going to do anything. Yet the reality is, we make a difference just when we reach one. Look at, look at John chapter 1, starting at verse 43. And here we've got... Jesus coming along the the seashore. He's already talked to a couple of guys. And so in verse 43, it says, The next day he purposed to go into Galilee. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. And we've heard that before, right? Follow me. And we know that that means that Jesus was inviting him to be a disciple of his, to be there and to learn everything he possibly could from Jesus and start to imitate him. That every characteristic of Philip would, now, would be a characteristic that was reminiscent of who Jesus is and his character. So he found Philip, said, follow, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip goes to Nathanael and says, hey, look what we found. We found somebody who was written about in the law of Moses and in the prophets. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You go, oh, well, that's a downer. I mean, that wasn't really what you wanted to hear. If you're Philip, would it be? Hey, we found this. Yeah, so what? It's no big deal. And Nathaniel said to him, or Nathaniel said, can good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip answered and said to him and said, come and see. Pretty simple, right? Just come and see. So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit or no guile. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Well, what did, what did Jesus ta- tell Nathanael when he said that? I respect you. 
And I respect that you are an upright guy. And so Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, now that conversation doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Before Philip found you, I saw you under a fig tree. And it's like, oh, that's a revelation, right? So you must be the son of God because you saw me under a fig tree. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said that I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God descending or ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, I want to stop right here because this passage in its context or when we read it like this and we just kind of skim over this, we miss something that Jesus communicates to, to Nathaniel that we don't grasp unless we go back and look at an Old Testament passage. So in Genesis chapter 28, Nathaniel is reading from that passage, and it's the passage where Jacob sees, sees angels ascending and descending. And you remember Jacob, what kind of guy he was? He was a little on the deceptive side, wasn't he? And so Jesus, when he says, I saw you under the fig tree, which is in Hebrew, that it, as you look at it, it would be the idea of you're studying Scripture. And so what Jesus tells Nathaniel, hey, while you were studying Scripture, I know that you were reading this about somebody that had, no, that had deceit, and I want to tell you, you don't. You seem to be upright. But I want you to understand that you're going to see greater things than what Jacob envisioned in the angels going up and down. You're going to see greater things as you look at me and follow me. And so in the context of Genesis 28 and this passage, Nathaniel understands that Jesus is who he says he is. And we've got to understand that as we go through here because Jesus offers the same, in, the same invitation to Nathaniel as he did Philip, as he did Andrew, as he did Peter. And Nathaniel's part of this was just saying, come and see. And as you come and see, you'll experience and encounter the Son of God, the one that we found. And it's an incredible, it will make an incredible difference in your life. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, I want us to gain three things or think about three things. Um, the first thing that we learn from this encounter is to commit to being intentional in attitude and action. Commit to being intentional in attitude and action. And so this invitation. So where, where, does, where does Jesus come up with this and say, hey, follow me. So we understand he wants them to follow him. And he wants them to understand who he is and that God Almighty has sent his son out of love for him to say, come and follow me, be my disciple. You see, for, for Philip to go and ask Nathaniel, it meant that Philip had to step out of something, out of one thing into something else. Philip had to step out of the idea that this is for me and jump into the idea that this is for more than just me. And we can be selfish with the gospel and not tell anybody. 
You think of yourself as selfish? I mean, I think in some ways we might, but in other ways you're going, no, man, I'm, I give. I give at church. I give on my job. I go above and beyond in certain places. But if I were to ask you this, if there was a choice between something that you wanted to do and, and what you thought was best for you and what somebody else was asking you to, to do and it was uncomfortable, which one would you choose? I'm choosing comfort. And we kind of land there a lot in a lot of times with the way we approach things. But God is telling us to, to be intentional with the idea of sharing Christ. You remember the first time or the, the time that you came to know Christ? Do you remember that day? Do you remember the hour? Do you remember where you were when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know, I've told you in here before that I know exactly where it was. I gave you the address. If you wanted to Google map it, you could find it. But what about you? Do you have that in your pocket? Because it was on that, at that time that you may have felt the, the burden of sin lifted off of your shoulders. The, the security that comes with knowing God and being able to say that I know if I die today, I'd go to heaven. There's some security in that. Maybe it was the excitement of just being a new creature in Christ, saying, man, all these old things are passed away. All the things that I worried about getting rid of before I came to God, God seemed to have taken care of those. All that stuff is gone. And, and you remember what it felt like to have all that newness in your life and wanting to share it with somebody. And a lot of times when we're a new believer, we share Christ with somebody, but we kind of, uh, we kind of approach it with a stumbling uh, kind, of, kind of posture, don't we? we? We let it come out of our mouth and we come at it so boldly that sometimes it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't want to hear all of that. But it's an excitement that just wells up because of the things that have changed in your life when you accept Christ. If that desire is not cultivated, we become like coals on a grill that slowly fade into chilled, a chilled state. We allow that to just go away. So we've got to cultivate this idea of being intentional with our attitude and our action towards sharing Christ and reaching the one that God has called us to reach. When we're connected to God... Our lives reflect His character and His love and His, and His desire. When we put ourselves in the posture of building our faith, then we can step into those spots where when the opportunity arises, we can share Christ. You've got you to know that God's desire is that, that people would come to know Him as Savior. That is, He express that the way that Peter put it in 2 Peter 3, 8, 9, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
So who does God want to see saved? Everyone, right? That would be the desire for people to respond to God, not because of anything except for His love for us and His goodness toward us. God is not selfish with His gospel. And so can we be can we afford to be selfish when God is so generous? Romans 1:16 says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes." It, see, you have the potential for sharing the gospel if you've come to know him already. And, and it's not a matter of being gifted in evangelism. All it really is is a matter of being obedient to God and sharing your story of how God worked in you. You say, well, wait, I don't know enough. You know enough. If you've come to know Christ, you know enough. You're gonna have, are you going to have all the answers to all the world's problems and all the arguments that could possibly come up? Absolutely not. But neither do I. And I would venture to say, if somebody is in this room and they've known Christ for 30 years or 60 years or 120 years, they're still not going to know all the answers to all the questions that somebody could possibly come up with as a rebuttal to knowing Christ. We have to be obedient where God has placed us. And see, God has written this on our hearts that, that what He has put in us, that desire to share Him, needs to be rekindled and fired up. For 2 Corinthians 2, 2 and 3 says, You are our letter, Paul's writing to this church. He said, You are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. See, God's written on your heart His love for you and His love for others. And so what it really means is we take inventory of what God has written on our heart and begin to share that. Think about Philip's method. Was Philip's method really complicated? Did Philip have a lot of things memorized at this point when he goes and finds Nathaniel? No. It was a pretty simple phrase, wasn't it? To the skeptic Nathaniel, come and see. That's it. He didn't say, hey, I've got this great argument for you. All he said was, come and see. And when you experience Christ, when you encounter Him, you'll find exactly what you're looking for. And I'm telling you, I've found Him. Come and see. We have to invite people to find their place in God's story with us as we follow Christ. So today, I want to ask you a couple of questions and we'll continue in our worship. The first one. Are you in a place where the invitation has been given, but you've never responded to the invitation of God? You come in here and you may say, I don't have a relationship with God, and, but, but I'm skeptical about this whole idea of relationship with God. 
Well, this, these are the words I want to use. Come and see. Just come and see. And so for the one that has, who has not accepted Christ, maybe skeptical, cynical, cynical or, or guarded, I get that. Come and see. See, God is big enough to deal with our questions and our problems and our issues. All the things that we seem to put as, as a complication to us coming to Christ. We put those in the way of our relationship with God. And you see, God is so much bigger than anything we could possibly put there. So come and see. And, and I just want to tell you that if you give it a shot and you accept Christ as Savior, say, I'm feeling convicted by the Spirit to come and check this out, but I don't have all the answers, it's okay. But, but let me put this caution in here. When you respond to the invitation of Christ to come follow me, God is very much, very much interested in not leaving you alone. God is interested in changing you by his spirit and preparing you for eternity. And so you may say, I'm willing, but I'm not sure. I want to ask you to take the risk. And explore it and come and see if Jesus isn't who he says he is. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So for some of you, come and see. For some of us in this room, um, we may have experienced Christ and received Christ but we've allowed the coals of our life, the coals of our relationship with God to grow cold because we've just not, we've, we've just not put ourselves in a place where we want to grow. And I want to ask you to recommit to being in a place where God's at work in your life. You say, God, I want to recommit my life to you. I want to be renewed in my commitment just as I did when I first came to know you as Savior. Wasn't that the whole idea of Psalm 51 when David in his sin went before the Lord and says, God, restore the joy of my salvation. He came before God and said, I have failed. I have messed up big time. But I want to come to you and ask that you would restore that joy. Some of us need to have a restored joy of that first day when we accepted Christ and became a new creature in Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to, to stand in just a moment. And we're going to sing and the altar will be open to come and recommit your life to Him. Uh, to come and experience Christ for the, maybe for the first time. But be open to what God's doing in your life. So let's pray and then we'll stand. God, we thank you this morning for Philip's boldness just to go to Nathaniel and say, come and see. And so, Father, we at this moment want to commit to being intentional in our attitude and action in following you and being the one that chooses to reach one. And so, Father, speak to us during this time of commitment for these few moments that you would be blessed in our obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?
As God leads you this morning, you come. This altar is open. And then we'll continue looking at this passage as we go forward.
So we've talked about committing to being intentional in our attitude and action. Second thing is to submit or being intentional, submit to being accountable to self and others. Submit to being accountable to self and others. See, accountability requires honesty, doesn't it? Have you ever known someone that boasts of something, yet the reality is something different? Now, we see this in big ways, but we can see it in small ways, too. Um, I, I remember when we were back in Kentucky, this doesn't put anybody in here on the spot, but I remember back in Kentucky, the beginning of baseball season, we'd have guys come out that I'd never seen before. And you'd sit there and you'd have this conversation, well, what position do you play? And, and they would come up with this list, well, I play catcher, I play third, I play second, and I can play outfield, um, but I don't like playing outfield. Well, how long have you played? Well, I've, I've played for the last, oh, maybe five, six years. Are you any good? And I'd, I'd ask that just because I just wanted to see what their, what their response would be. Like, yeah, I'm pretty good. You say, well, go over there and, and let, me, let me throw you a couple balls. And so you, you get them and you throw something to them and they're like, and you're like, oh, you hadn't played five, six years and we, you definitely ain't playing second base. So, so you go through that and you go, there's a, there's a missing piece to this. What you see in yourself is this, this major league baseball player. What I'm seeing in you as a 14, 15-year-old is somebody that needs to work on some skills. And so when we start talking about being accountable to self and others, it's the idea that we've got to look at ourselves and be very honest with ourselves, but at the same time saying, hey, I have not made it. And therefore, I need other people to come beside me and at times get in my face and express to me where my need is. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody in here gets the license to walk up to somebody else and say, I know what's wrong with you. So don't, so don't take that. Now, now, those of you that are married, there may be some elbowing going on here. Or looking around to your friends for support because there's an elbow happening. You know, whatever that is. But I, but I want to tell you that, that we all are in this place where as we look at Scripture, we all fall short. James reminds us in James 1, 23 and 24, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. I would say that the majority of us did that this morning. I don't want to assume, but I would say the majority of us looked in the mirror this morning. And then in verse 24, it says, For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So James is saying, hey, you can look at yourself naturally in a mirror and you can forget what you look like. But really, we're talking about heart issues here in James chapter 1. When James says that, he says, okay, you look in the mirror and you see where your heart is. And sometimes we walk away from that mirror and we, we, we forget how far we are away from what God asks us to do. Therefore, there's a, a need for us to be honest with ourselves, but there is a need for us to submit to others, to be submissive to others. 
Scripture teaches that that in a marriage relationship, we're mutually submissive to one another. We have different roles and different responsibilities, but we are mutually submissive to one another. And in the body of Christ, it's the same way. We need each other. And we need to admit that we need each other. I may be a foot and you may be a hand and somebody else is the eye, but if the foot and the hand don't have the eye, does that make it a relatively dangerous thing to do to walk across the street? Somewhat dangerous, right? We need each other. We need all the parts of the body to act like parts of the body and not separate pieces independent of everything else. We've got to be together. And so what what Scripture is teaching us here is that we need each other and in humility we allow community to happen because we're submissive to one another. Listen to the way Paul put it in Romans. And so there's three things that are promoted in Scripture. The first one is to be devoted. Listen to this, Romans 12, 10 through 13. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So if you had a measuring stick against Romans 12, 10 through 13, how well are you doing within the community or the body of Christ? First thing is to be devoted. The second piece of this is to be submitted. And we've talked about this, Ephesians 521, it says, and be subject, subject one another in the fear of Christ or in the fear of the Lord. Third thing is to be encouraged. And, and I started to, to really shorten this to, or to, to just take a part of this passage. But as I started looking at it, realized that, that we have to understand where this, the context of this passage. So Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19, says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Just start there. That's a big deal. We have access to God. By a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, Jesus gave his life for us. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then the encouragement for us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So we get this picture that Jesus gave his life for us. He died for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us out of love from the Father's heart to us. Therefore, in verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, our confidence to encourage those around us comes from Christ, it doesn't come from something else. When we realize that our place in the body of Christ was bought for us, 
then there's no reason for anybody in here to have pride like, I've arrived, I've made it, you ought to look up to me. No, we are submissive to one another and every single one of us is in need. That word stimulate means to incite or stir up. If you watched the news yesterday, you saw this. And likely not in a positive fashion, but you saw inciting or stirring up within Hillsborough, didn't you? If you don't know what that is, you just go to the news. But if you don't want to look at the news and you don't want to see it, don't find it. But there was a stirring up yesterday on two different platforms, two different ideas. And I'm going to tell you that 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 kind of stirring up is not good for any community. So, so hear me when I say this. That's not the kind of stirring up that we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 10. Not at all. Because I think the stirring up that happened in Hillsborough yesterday was an insightful attempt at creating confusion and disunity within a community. It was, well, that's not what I want. And you may even have chosen a side. It doesn't really matter. Our goal ought to be to represent Christ regardless. And so you could be on either side of that. If you're not representing Christ, you're on the wrong side of that. We need to incite and stimulate and stir up in each other this idea of coming together as a body of Christ to honor and glorify Him under the blood of Christ. We do this because of the last part of Hebrews 10 in this passage. Because the day is quickly approaching. Had a conversation with somebody yesterday about things in other parts of the world. And it was, it was just expressed very quickly. That people who are Christians and Jews in Israel are expecting the return of the Messiah. Quicker than you and I do. We become very complacent in in thinking about Jesus' return being far off. And they're saying, we're looking at world events around us and we understand that it's closer than ever. And so why would we not stimulate one another to, to do good deeds and to assemble together for that very purpose? That's why church, coming to church is important. That's why this idea of 50% being active in church, 50% attendance, if I can come two out of every four weeks, is not realistic when you understand that Jesus' return is imminently closer than it was yesterday. And that us getting together to encourage one another is extremely important for us having the boldness to go out to reach one person for Christ. Third thing is to limit the pressure from excuses for the sake of the one. Remember, hear what I'm saying, for the sake of the one. Not just limit excuses, but for the sake of the one that needs to come to know Christ. We come up with a list of excuses. Man, I fear rejection. I don't like rejection any more than you do. But rejection cannot be an excuse. If we get rejected, are we not just that much more like Jesus? Was Jesus rejected? 
in, in this passage, it, it almost seems like on the forefront or on the very beginning of this, Nathaniel is saying, uh, no, not him. Isn't that what it sounds like to you? And Philip just turns around and says, come and see. That may be one. Lack of accountability. We don't. We don't share Christ for the sake of the one because nobody is holding us accountable to that. There were a stack of cards that were turned in that says, this is my one. And I want to tell you, you're responsible for that one. Say, well, that's a big burden. It's one. Share with the one. Nobody's telling, telling you that you have to convince them and, and drag them and do all those kind of things. What we're saying is share the gospel of Christ, share the story of God in your life with that one and see what God does. Because ultimately it's God's responsibility to draw them to himself and for them to respond to him. It's not yours. You have the responsibility for sharing Christ, but not converting them or making them believe. Another excuse may be growing inclusiveness. It's the idea that we just discount the gospel, the uniqueness of the gospel. We say it's just like some other belief system. It's not. The gospel is unique. And with that is this whole idea of desiring to be tolerant. See, it's an excuse of saying, you know, everybody goes to heaven. No, they don't. In fact, not even everybody who hears the good news of the gospel will go to heaven. There will be some that will reject. But that's not on us. The ones that are on us are the ones that we have not shared with. But if they decide to reject because we've shared and say, I don't want that, then that's on them. And we continue to pray and continue to share. But we don't give up. We just realize that God, it's God's work. 1 Corinthians 1 says this. And I think this is how folks view it. Or, or we'll see how folks view it in this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews asked for signs. Greeks searched for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a, a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. There may be some of you in here who are thinking, I would love to share, but I don't really know what to share. And it may be that you've come to know Christ over a period. Uh, over some period of time. And you have all the head knowledge, but there's a piece of you that is disappointed by your relationship with God. And, and it, may, it may come across like this. God didn't measure up to what I expected when I came to know Him 
And I really don't want to invite anybody to that. I've been in churches where I didn't want to invite somebody to the church because of what was happening in the church. You may have likely been in that kind of situation too. It's not the, it may be the church's fault, but it's not Jesus' fault. You see, Jesus does all that Jesus says he will do. He's the peace giver. He's the joy provider. He's the one that offers mercy and grace. He is faithful, more faithful than you and I realize. And he's one that we can lean on. And so if you experience personal disappointment, and that's keeping you from sharing with somebody else, then I would encourage you to start spending more time getting to know Jesus. Ravi Zacharias wrote a book called Has Christianity Failed You? And this is what he wrote. He said, the seduction of the lie that God makes everything comfortable for us is precisely the reason many have been unable to face the tensions they experience in living the Christian life. Now he goes on to say, it is not that Christianity has failed to teach me how to delight in God's presence. It is that I have failed by seeking pleasure through godless ways or by resisting God's provision for me because it is not what I want. If I, could, if I could summarize that very quickly, is to say we have this desire of what we want God to do in our lives, and when God doesn't measure up to what we want in our lives, we say it's God's fault, and we don't give Him the credit that He's due. Don't let this want on your behalf keep you from sharing what Jesus is able to provide for somebody else. The last thing is busyness. This is pretty simple. Let me ask you a question. Do you schedule God? Do you schedule God? Say, I don't schedule God. We schedule them for Sunday morning, right? Do we have them anywhere else in our schedule during the week? Because if our heart is going to be open, if we're going to be intentional in our attitude and action, if we're going to be submissive to one another and, and honest with ourselves and honest with those around us, living the Christian life is not about Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Sunday night or another particular hour. Living the Christian life is all the time. It's not boxed in by the number by the hours that we set aside for official corporate worship at church. Our commitment to him ought to be the 24/7 365 kind of deal. And in when we do that, then our heart is changed in such a way that we will want people to know who the Jesus is that we know. So here are the three challenges. We're going to sing. And we're going to be done. Challenge one. Because each of us can make a difference in the world around us, here's the first one. Commit to identifying your one. 
Some of you say, I've already done that. Some of you have not. But recommit and keep committing to reaching that one this year. Commit to identifying your one. The second thing is be intentional in your actions. Be intentional in your actions. So what does that mean? Here's two things that you can do. One, invite somebody that doesn't know Christ to have a meal at your home. It may be a neighbor, it may be a coworker, it may be somebody you run into somewhere that you haven't seen in a while. Whatever it happens to be, invite somebody for a meal. Second thing, invite them to church. Invite someone to church. So be intentional in your actions. The third thing is to insulate yourself from excuses. And I know when we put up insulation, we guard from, right? So, so not, this idea is not allowing excuses to rule in our life. It's saying, no, I am not going to be afraid to share the gospel. No, I'm not going to be too busy to do that. No, I'm, I'm not going to take the approach that every other approach to God is valid. I'm going to look at the gospel and say it is unique and it is the power of God to salvation through Christ. I'm going to insulate myself from, from the excuses and pursue what God asked me to do. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service.